Welcome to the River Life Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you will encounter Jesus and allow His words to wash you anew. May He reveal more of who He is to your heart. Here's the message for this week. Thank you, Pastor Ben. Wow. Uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, background as well, uh, the sermon series coming up, actually, we're doing now on examining a little bit about what our Jewish roots are. As a, as a Christian. And then in the second part, actually, we're going to examine some of the things that happened in the Old Testament, which is some of the revivals. You know, what was it uh, that shifted the nation back to God? Because I believe in this season, right, God is preparing the church to come alongside Him and to be aligned with His ways. So we want to look at deeper at some of the things that happened in the nation of Israel and learn some lessons from it, okay? So, but for the first part of the series, we're going to look at a couple of things that our Jewish brothers and sisters do. It's uh, like what Pastor Ben said, it's not so that we can become more Jewish. Like next week when you all come to service, I don't expect everybody to change the word Jesus to Yeshua or you bring your shofar, come and know uh, tambourine dancing everywhere. It's, it's, it's not about that, but is coming back to understand the beauty uh, of our Jewish roots. Uh, just reading last night, you know, one the um, a couple of things that I think we as a Westernized church have kind of lost is uh, in one aspect is actually the reverence for God. You know, when a Jewish man when they pray before the Lord, right, they have this prayer show, and then they will they will cover themselves, and it actually symbolizes a lot of reverence, a lot of respect before the Lord. And you contrast that with how we approach God today. We really approach God anyhow. No, suka, suka. Anyhow you want, you just approach God. But the Jews remind us today that you approach God as a holy God. And we need to approach Him correctly. And I was reading last night uh, in in, in Scripture about the story about Jesus um, uh, when He was walking. And then there was a lady who had an issue with blood. And then she touched the helm of His garment. And some of these things, when you visit it, um, when you read it in scripture like that, right, sometimes it's like, Kela, it just touched your knee, right? But there's so much symbolism in it. There's so much deeper meaning. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, anything, when anything unclean touches you, automatically you become unclean. But for the case of Jesus, the moment the woman that was unclean because of the issue of blood touched him, she became clean. And some of these things, are uh, we lose the meaning of it by just reading scripture through a westernized lens. So I think in this season, we want to come back and to understand some of the roots, some of the way we see God and see His ways so that there's greater understanding and we can live um, in a fuller understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Christ in the 21st century today. Okay? Um, so today... Um, you know, last week when we were planning for the pulpit series, right? And so coincidentally, everybody is away this week. Okay, so it's between me and Pastor Ben. And um, this topic is very interesting because it's on the topic of circumcision. Okay, so it's between me and Pastor Ben. So uh, Pastor Ben, I look at him, he looked very, very stressed. And I say, okay, okay, I do, I do, I do. Okay, so uh, and uh, Patrick has kindly volunteered to do a live demonstration after the service. Yeah, so um, downstairs at the atrium, yeah, he will. <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. But I think uh, today we want to visit the topic of circumcision because a lot of times we think there's something that only Jewish people do. But what does it mean for us as new 
covenant believers? What's the implication for our faith, for the way we live our lives? Okay, and so before I start, can I just comment this time to the Lord and then we're just going to dive straight into the word of the Lord. Okay. Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you once again, O Lord, for that opportunity to come before you, to come into the presence of a holy God, to just come freely, O Lord, to worship you for who you are and to commune with you as a friend, even though you're so holy and we are so sinful, O God. And God, we just want to pray that even as we listen to your word this day, O Father, that we interpret your word. Father, we pray that your word will be translated into practical living, O Lord. Father, we ask that your word will really take the centerpiece in our lives, that it will transform the condition of our hearts so that we will not be people that live out of the flesh, but we will be the people that live out of the spirit, of the conviction of our hearts in God, O Lord. So Lord, we just commit this time to you, Holy Spirit, Move as you will this day. Do what only you can do in the lives of every single person here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago, um, when I was... Um, <clears throat> so, when after I got married, we applied for BTO. So, we got the BTO and are living in Haogang right now. When we passed the five-year mark, right, suddenly there's an influx of property agents that will come to your block, right? So, every other dinner... I'm having property agents coming to my house. Say, are you selling your house? When are you going to sell? And are you interested to sell? So every time, I still remember that time, I was very, very frustrated because these people keep irritating my dinner. You know, so got one time, I'll just sit down only and the guy come, hello, sir, how are you? How's everything? Nice day? Say, Sorry, not interested, not interested. <laughs> you know, so one day, there was a fine gentleman, okay? He came, he, of course, he was wearing the tag and he came outside my door. All right, and then he's, he, same thing. He, he he introduced himself like, "Hello, how are you today?" and all that, you know. And then, instinctively, I thought, "Okay, this guy, another property agent, five year mark, want to sell the house, ask want want to find a business, right?" So I insistently wave him away. Don't want, don't want, don't want. No need, no need. Uh, please leave me alone. I really want to focus my dinner. Now he actually had a partner with him, so I thought, uh, co agent now, okay? So uh, <clears throat> the partner said, "Hey." How come this guy like that one? No? So point to me, you know, how come this guy like that one? No? Then the guy that was uh, the, the more elderly gentleman, he introduced himself. Hello, sir. I'm not a property agent. I am Mr. Lo Tia Kiang. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, you, you must forgive me, okay? I don't follow the Singapore political scene. Uh, even when I grew up in Malaysia, I, I never follow political scene. No? So I'm like, I've never voted in Malaysia. I've never voted in Singapore. So for me, it's like, I know there's opposition and there's a government. That's all I know, okay? I know there's workers' party, but I don't know who's in, in it, okay? So he came and introduced. I said, oh, so sorry, so sorry. Uh, then he introduced my name. to the low house, everything, and all that. So what's your name? So I said, hi, my name is Anwar. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of the most important questions that we need to ask ourselves today is who are we? It's a question of identity. Because when you know who you are, it shapes how you live your life. When you understand who you are, you will start to do things that matter in your life. But in order to answer the question of who are we, we need to ask a bigger question. And the bigger question is this, who is God? 
Because as believers, we believe that God is the one that created us. So in order for us to know who we are, we must first answer the question, who is God to us? When we get that right, then we understand who we are and therefore we know how to live. It's a question of identity. You know, for the Jewish people, one of the key identity markers for them is the marker of circumcision for all the males. Okay, some of you may ask, how about females? Okay, so for females, um, you are in a sense considered part of the Jewish race if you have a circumcised father or circumcised husband. It's actually by link, okay, by association. But for every single person who calls himself a Jew, he or she, he must be circumcised. If not, he is not considered a Jew. It's a very, very big thing for the Jewish people. So circumcision has been around and practiced for a long time in the ancient Near East. You know, it's not just specific to Israel. It's actually practiced in a lot of the nations there, including Egypt. Okay, but it's some, there's something very unique about circumcision in the nation of Israel. And I want to dive into the scripture text today. We are going to go right back to the book of Genesis to see the first instance of circumcision and that is in the book of Genesis chapter 17 in the story of Abraham, okay? Father Abraham. Now, uh, I'm going to read to you all so that uh, you can just follow along on the screen, okay? So Genesis chapter 17 verses 1 to 14, I'll skip the middle part for the sake of time and I'll go to the end to verses 23 and 27 after that. Now verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, how old was he? Curious, anybody here 99 and above? No, okay, it means you call, when you, you, you qualify for circumcision. Yeah, okay. 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant with you. And, and sorry, between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of of nations. In verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offsprings after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of, the, of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting position, uh, possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offsprings after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. 
so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, I'll skip down to verse 23. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As, he, as God said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son, Ishmael, were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Wow, can you imagine this 99 years old going through circumcision? And I want you to notice something about the passage here today. Do you notice once that Abraham never bargained with God about circumcision? Never once did he counter-propose. No, God, I'm 99. It's a bit painful. It's a bit hard. Can we do something different like cutting off of the ear or you know, maybe doing a tattoo or something like that? No, why? Abraham did not. He straight away believed the Lord. And that's why he's called the man of faith. Because Abraham, whatever God told him, he took it wholesale and he obeyed the Lord. He went in faith. Now, let me share a little bit of my thoughts regarding circumcision or based on what I've researched so far. Um, In the ancient Near East, in the countries around Israel there, circumcision is always done in the context of covenant. Okay? It's always done in the context of covenant. It can be a sign, okay, as of a bridegroom entering into the bridal family. So imagine this, before you get married, you need to be circumcised. Not all the guys have to be circumcised, which symbolizes entering into the protection and the resources of the bridal family. Okay, so that's one of the things they do. Secondly, it's, um, it's also a sign of covenant between kings, noble people. Let's make a covenant together. What does that mean? They actually circumcise their foreskins, all right? But the most common use of circumcision is actually as a symbol of devotion to a god, okay? And this is very popular, especially among the Egyptians, because when they devote themselves fully to a particular god, the upper class will circumcise the males as a symbol of everything, no, my devotion is everything to that particular god. Now, circumcision was part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. It was done in the context of covenant. And if you notice this covenant, it has a few parts. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, it is the first part. Abraham was 75 years old and God told Abraham, come out of your country and I will bless you and I'll bless those who bless you, uh, curse those who curse you, right? And your, your descendants will be as multitude, uh, um, like we will... Uh, sorry, will will be a multitude of people, your descendants. Miss, you have a lot of descendants, all right? So Abraham went out. Abraham believed in the Lord, okay? And then in part two, Genesis 15, God once again appeared to Abraham and God made the promise of Isaac that Abraham will have an offspring and his descendants 
and he, uh, and he will have many, many descendants. Once again, God promised Abraham as part of his covenant. And in that passage in Genesis 15, you will see the covenantal practice where they take animals and they split them into two and they divide them. Okay? And God kind of like sealed that covenant when he saw, um, when he made a flaming torch pass in the middle of all the animals that were went to. Right? Okay, I don't know why it's done that way in the ancient times. Okay, today we all just like, okay, I, I sumpah, I swear, you know. But in those days, they do oaths very, very seriously. Okay, then we come to Genesis 17. And this is Abraham's part. Once again, God gives a covenant. I am your God, you know, I am in covenant with you. And this is what I require of you. Okay, this is what I require of you. And I want you to note this that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Abraham did not argue with the Lord. Because you see, in ancient times, when a smaller nation, uh, a smaller nation's king makes a covenant with a bigger nation, a more powerful nation, right? And circumcision was done on the smaller nation. So when Abraham came before the Lord, in a sense, Abraham was a small nation's king coming before the big nation's king, which is God. So Abraham was the one that was supposed to be circumcised. And the moment that happens, it symbolizes on Abraham's part a total commitment to keep the covenant. Okay, to keep the covenant. So, point number one, circumcision is the sign of the covenant. Okay, and because of this covenant, the practice of circumcision is still practiced among the Jews up to this very day as a sign that they belong to God, Yahweh. Okay? And this is, uh, in fact, the Jews see this as the most important command in the whole of the Torah. In fact, more important than keeping the Sabbath because it is an issue of identity and all Jewish males are required to be circumcised uh, on the eighth day after they are born, unless there's some medical reasons involved. Now, uh, let me share with you a bit about the process of circumcision. Um, unfortunately, I can't do a live demonstration on stage. Okay, <laughs> so you're going to just imagine with me. Okay, the Jewish circumcision is quite an interesting. Um, in, in fact, it's a big ceremony. Okay, it's a very very big ceremony. Okay, of course, you all know the the actual thing is actually they cut off the foreskin of the male organ. Okay, of the baby. Okay, and this ceremony is done on the eighth day and it's called Barit Milah. Okay, Barit, which is actually the word, the Hebrew word for covenant, Milah, which is circumcision. So it's called the covenant of circumcision. And the night before that day, where on the eighth day, when they're supposed to circumcise the son, right, the father of the house will stay up the whole night to actually read through the Torah and meditate on the Torah the whole night. Okay, and then when morning comes, <coughs> the both parents will actually bring <coughs> the baby to the uh, to the synagogue or in a, some some of the gatherings, and it's done in front of a lot of people. Okay, because it's a ceremony, it's a celebration, and this ceremony is performed by a guy who's skilled in cutting off the foreskins, and his name is called a moho. Okay, he's called a moho, and today uh, in ancient times, right, they don't have anesthetic. Did I say that right? Anesthetic, right? Means you will feel every single pain from the knife. Okay? And it's flint knives. Okay? 
okay, mean, I think it's because it's not very, very sharp flame knives. Okay, it's not like today, surgical, all right? But in the ancient times, it was very, very painful for the baby. And what the rabbis did during those times was that they would give the baby maybe one drip of wine so that she knock out the baby a bit, okay? Like in, yeah, and then they'll cut off so that the baby doesn't suffer too much, okay? And typically, this is held in front of a number of people. Now, something very interesting is this. The Jewish rabbi, um, okay, so the person that circumcises is called Mohel, okay? The one that's skilled in circumcision. The Jewish rabbi of the synagogue has the honor of holding the baby while the circumcision happens, not the parents, okay? It symbolizes actually the entrance into the Jewish community, Okay, so the Jewish rabbi is the one that holds the baby when the circumcision happens. And both the parents must hand the baby over together to the rabbi. Okay, and this symbolizes that the parents are committed to bring up this baby in the ways of God. Okay, in the ways of God. And the moment the circumcision begins, the whole congregation will need to stand up. And they will stand until the circumcision is done. And something else that's very interesting is this. In this whole ceremony, right, the name of the baby is not known until after the circumcision happens. Then the parents will name the baby. And the first time the name comes out is when the father says a prayer of blessing. Okay? And the ceremony ends with a big celebration. Okay, we have a very big celebration because there's food and all that. Lah. Okay, and it celebrates the entrance of the baby into covenant with God. Okay, wow, so elaborate, right? Yeah, I really thank God today we don't have to do that. If not, a lot of our time will be spent on circumcising people. <laughs> okay, so it's like, and something very interesting, um, a lot of people ask this question, why the eighth day? Why the eighth day? Okay, why not seventh day? Why not the ninth day? And it's very interesting, okay? The ancient people may not know this, but today in science, they see that a baby has vitamin K and is at its highest level uh, on the eighth day. And vitamin K is responsible for clotting so that the baby doesn't bleed out. And God in his wisdom commanded Abraham on the eighth day, circumcise the males. Isn't it amazing? Okay, so it is responsible. Vitamin K is responsible for clotting and is the highest on the eighth day in an individual's life. Okay, after that, everything goes down. Okay, so the, the act of circumcision, the, 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 the sign of circumcision is something that the Jewish people take very seriously because it's their identity. And God takes it very seriously as well. If you look at the passage just now in Genesis 17 verse 14, God says that any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin must be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Means if you're not circumcised at all, you are not Jewish. You are not part of the nation of Israel. You must be banished from the community. Okay? And God sees this as something very, very serious. In fact, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24 to 26, there's a very interesting passage there uh, that talks about Moses when he was coming to the land of Egypt after God spoke to him on the, uh, with the burning bush. Okay? He was returning to Egypt. And on the way, he stayed in an inn. And while he was around there, 
okay? The anger of the Lord burned against one of his sons because his son was not circumcised. And scripture says that the Lord wanted to kill the son, sent his angel of death to kill the son because he was uncircumcised. And that shows you how seriously God takes the covenant of circumcision. And Moses' wife, which was Zipporah, quickly took the flint knife and cut off the foreskin of her son, which was probably about 11 years old as well. And then the in God's anger relented. Okay, so circumcision is something so, so, so important to a Jewish person. Okay, so number two, circumcision, the moment a Jewish person undergoes circumcision, it transforms the person's identity. Okay, it transforms the person's identity. Now, in the olden days, between, um, between when it's done between kings, right, as I mentioned just now, uh, the lesser nation's king, his status will be elevated the moment the circumcision covenant is done between both nations. Means he is now an equal of the greater nation. Okay? So, and one of the things that they normally do, the moment... <coughs> The moment they have the covenant circumcision, they welcome the greater nation, welcomes the lesser nation as part of uh, his family is to give that lesser nation's king a new name. Okay, a new name. And that's why in Genesis 17 verse 5, you always wonder why God needs to change people's names, right? It's because of the covenant of circumcision. It's welcoming the person into the community, into the family Okay, and that's why in 17 verse 5 it says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The moment you enter into the covenant circumcision, your name changes. You are now part of the family. You have access to the resources, to the protection, to the love of this greater nation, this greater king. Okay. Now, a parallel to this is that I'm not sure those of you who have passports, right? Okay, when you travel, whether you've actually read the first page of your passport. How many of you have read the first page of your passport before? Oh, y'all don't travel. Okay, maybe I'm the only one. Okay, now I still hold a Malaysian passport. Okay, so I want to show you what a Malaysian passport looks like. Okay, uh, if you open the first page, it looks something like this. Okay, don't worry, this one's from newspaper article, so can show one. Okay, <laughs> yeah, and it has this on the left side, right? It, the first page, it actually has certain declarations. Okay, and I'll read to you the declaration. Okay, it, uh, I have it on the screen. It says this, This is to request and require in the name of His Majesty, the young... The Yang Betuan Agong, I think I wrote it in the slide. Okay, the Yang Betuan Agong of Malaysia, all whom it may concern to allow the bearer of the passport to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. Okay, I'm not sure what the Singapore one says, okay? but Malaysia one, this is what it says. It means that whatever country that I go to, if Malaysia has diplomatic ties with the country, they are supposed to take care of me. So you need to take care of me. <laughs> yeah. So, so in every nation that I go to, for example, like Australia, uh, Thailand, uh, where else? Indonesia. They, are, they need to take care of me, in a sense. They need to treat me as one of their citizens, the equal 
okay, because of the diplomatic tie of my nation to the other nations. Now, I'm not sure whether you're aware of this. This rule does not apply to one country in the world for Malaysians, and that country is Israel. Okay, because the passport is valid in every country except Israel, because Malaysia has no diplomatic ties with Israel. Okay, so if I go to Israel, if anything happens to me in Israel, Malaysian government will wash their hands off of me, you know, because Israel has no diplomatic ties. They are not required to take care of me. Okay, so because of my identity as a Malaysian, okay, when I go to certain countries, they will take care of me. Okay, they cannot anyhow allow things to happen to me because they're supposed to take care of me. Right? So circumcision transforms. It's the same like circumcision. It transforms your whole identity to be the equal of the one who actually gives the covenant. Equal in terms of like, you are not part of the family. You're not part of the family. Okay? And that's why in Psalms 23, if you read the words of David, verse 5, he says this very interesting statement. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He's talking about the covenant that he has with God. That he is now part of that greater king, the same family. So all his enemies cannot do anything because they're all the smaller kings in light of God. And that's why David's cup overflows, because he has access to all the resources of God's family. Okay? So because God is a greater king, David has come there with him. No other nation can touch him. And that is why when a Jew is not circumcised, he is cast out of their community because he doesn't have the Jewish identity. So circumcision transforms one's identity. Now, the other thing regarding identity is this. God promised Abraham that I will bless you, I will bless your descendants. Okay? So for the Jewish people, in order to inherit these blessings from the Abrahamic blessings, I must participate in the circumcision, sorry, in the covenant of circumcision. If not, I will not be able to inherit the covenant, uh, the blessings of God through Abraham. That's why being a son of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, is so important for the Jewish people. And how do you tell? Circumcision. And we will visit this a while later, okay? Okay, number three. Circumcision also serves as a covenantal reminder. It is symbolic that you will need to do all you need to do uh, all your part for the covenant. Miss, it's not a passive one like marriage. It is an active one. You need to put in effort. You need to be set apart. You need to be able to only worship Yahweh and no other gods. You need to separate yourself from all the nations of the world, not intermarry with other nations. That is the commitment. That's what circumcision means. So it is a sign to remind the Jewish people to actually separate themselves away from the rest of the nations, to come out and be separate. Okay? And this separation actually has two parts. The physical aspect, okay? 
and also the heart aspect. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 to 13 and 16 says this, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and status of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. So God doesn't just require the Jewish people to be circumcised physically but also internally in their hearts because out of the hearts flows how they live. Okay, It changes their identity. So in summary, circumcision in the Old Testament is a sign of the covenant. It transforms a person's identity and it serves as a covenantal reminder. Okay, So now, the question must be asked, what does circumcision have to do with us, which are New Testament believers today? Okay, Do we still practice the practice of circumcision? Does it mean next week onwards we have a course on how to be circumcised in the, in the, in, in the, in the church? Okay, So what does circumcision mean in the New Covenant? Okay, Now, in the early church, this was an issue that they faced because the early church was growing so rapidly. There's so many um, uh, people coming to faith, including Gentiles. Now, when the Jews came in, there was no issue because everyone was circumcised. And now you have Gentiles coming in. And then the question was asked among the people there, okay, do they need to be circumcised? And there was a great argument in the early church. So the apostles came together and they deliberated. And they, they seek the Lord, they sought the Lord, and they heard from the Lord. And I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 15, verses 6 to 11 and 9 to 21. And this is the conclusion of their deliberation. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, which is the Jews. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor, nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And verse 19, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. So, in the New Testament context, the conclusion is this. Physical circumcision no longer re is required for Gentile believers. And all the men say? Oh, you all don't seem very excited, okay? Okay, late, later you'll see Father Patrick. He'll help you guys, okay? <laughs> so right now, God is saying this, okay? Gentiles, you don't need to be circumcised. But what I still require of you is the circumcision of the heart. It's the circumcision of the heart. You see, your faith in Christ, the condition of your heart, the way that you live now becomes the evidence 
of whether you are in covenant with the Lord. And Paul actually in his letters wrote extensively about this. I'm going to read to you just two passages. Romans chapter 2. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man is uncircumcised, keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written law, a code, and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, means the rituals and all that. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. And also in Galatians, he writes this, that in chapter 3, verse 28 to 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, has according to the promise. It means now I don't need to participate in the act of circumcision in order to be a heir of Abraham because of what Christ has done on the cross for me. Okay, and that's why we can say amen to that, right? Oh, thank you for the applause. So great. Okay. Now, just a small thing that I want to highlight here. In some circles of Christianity, uh, especially uh, the Presbyterians, they believe, they have this practice of infant baptism, right? I think some of you have gone through that when you were infants. And there's a reason why uh, we, they believe that, okay? They believe in infant baptism because they believe that circumcision in the Old Testament has been replaced by water baptism. So, if I am baptized, it means I am safe. Okay? So that's why they practice infant baptism. So for them, salvation comes the moment you get baptized as an infant. So they practice that. Okay? But as, for us as a church, we don't subscribe to the interpretation of Scripture because we believe that you are saved by grace through faith alone, not by works, not by circumcision. Okay, not by water baptism, even though water baptism is an outward sign, but you are not saved by water baptism. You are saved by grace and uh, alone, true faith. That's non-negotiable for us. Okay, so that's why we don't practice infant baptism in our church. But what applies to all of us here today, whether you're male or female, is that you need to be circumcised in your hearts. You need to be circumcised in your hearts. What does that mean? What does that mean? The sign that we are in covenant with the Lord today as New Testament believers is if our hearts are circumcised. Okay? So, our identity as believers is found in the circumcised heart, no longer in the circumcised flesh. So, you remember this. The moment you become a Christian... The book of Acts tells us you need to repent and be baptized. Correct? So there is a repentance that's needed. What is repentance? Repentance is cutting off the cutting of the old nature, the old man. And that's a circumcision of the heart. 
and to walk in the Spirit. That's why Paul says in his letters, we now no longer walk according to the flesh, the old man. We walk in the Spirit because we have cut that part of the heart circumcision. And that is the sign that you are in covenant with the Lord. Okay? And today, the Jews, they they emphasize so much on all the outward, you know, acts, the circumcision of the foreskin. But God is saying to us today as a church, while those things are important for the Jewish people, but more important is the condition of our hearts. Is our hearts circumcised? Is our hearts cut off from the old man? Have we forsaken the old nature, the fleshly nature? Those are the things that matter to God because out of your heart is how you will live. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and that you may live. I want you to notice something in this verse. It says that God is the one that will circumcise our hearts, not us. God is the one. Okay? So what, how does He do that? He does that through the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And that's why the Holy Spirit was given on Pentecost. He's given, yes, to give us power for witnessing, but He's given so that we are able to cooperate with the Lord to circumcise our hearts. Our role in this covenant is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Okay? And at times, the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you to let go of the old man, to carve out of those things which are sinful, displeasing before the Lord. The Holy Spirit is going to prompt you. Your job in the covenant is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And like Abraham say, yes, Lord, I don't understand everything, but I trust you. And I'm going to let this go. And like circumcision of the flesh, it's going to be painful at times. But do you know what? Like Abraham, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be with it because when our hearts are circumcised, we have our identities changed into becoming children of God, children of Abraham. So God desires for us to have circumcised hearts and we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Okay, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17 to 18. And that's why Paul wrote, writes repeatedly on this. Paul and John, they write repeatedly on this. Okay, about coming out from the world. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them. Be separate from the world, says the Lord. Touch nothing unclean. Then I will welcome you. I will be in covenant with you. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The sign that you are still in covenant with the Lord is not whether you say a sinner's prayer. It's not whether you uh, respond by coming to a friend. Although these things are signs and they are important, but the ultimate sign of whether you are still in covenant with the Lord is whether your heart is circumcised whether you're living a circumcised heart lifestyle, that is the indicator of whether you are still with the Lord. It's not about coming to church. It's not about the rituals that we do, about giving, serving. These things are actually, it comes out of the heart. But if the heart is not changed, you have no communion with the Lord. You have no covenant with the Lord. 
you must live out of the covenant. It requires the changed heart. So it's not just enough to do the external things. It must stem from a heart that is circumcised, a heart that is changed. Now, this is where I want to go a little bit more practical uh, about what are some of the things that we need to cut off from our lives today. Okay? Uh, I just spent... uh, some time with our young adults yesterday. So those of you who were there yesterday, I may repeat some of the things here today because today I'll be talking to the parents. Okay? <laughs> okay, so and these things are important to us as a church. Alright? And we need to cut off those things because God is calling His church to be holy. God is calling His church to have a destiny in Him. And the only way we stay in covenant with the Lord is if we have a changed heart. And out of that, we live. Okay? So a couple of things I want to just touch here before we end the sermon. Number one is this. It's on the topic of how we relate to one another. As cells, as a whole community. You know, the culture today is very touch and go. Singaporeans are very protective of their personal space. And we, in the sense, uh, okay, maybe I shouldn't use we. You guys, <laughs> okay, Malaysians not like that. Lah. I mean, Malaysians are very biblical, you know. <laughs> no, just kidding. You know, we, we protect that space and we don't allow a lot of people to come in to rebuke us, to correct us, to guide us. And a lot of our conversations tend to be very surface. And that's why you find that in Singapore, the concept of spiritual community cells is very hard to take off. Because we all like our space. We don't like people coming to our lives telling us what to do. But you know what? In the biblical times, they encourage one another. They allow leaders in to admonish them so that they can encourage one another to walk the right path. So we need to cut away the culture of touch and go and go deep in our communities. In your cell time, you know what? It's more than just studying the Bible. It's about going deep into everybody's lives so that we hold each other accountable, so that we all you know, spur one another on towards righteous living, towards doing the works of the Lord, not being distracted by the things of the world. That's what cells is for. That's what your spiritual communities are for. It's not for us just to gain knowledge. It's for us to journey through life together as people who do not belong to this world. And we encourage one another on. So we need to cut away touch and go culture and go deep in our communities. Okay, that's number one. Number two is in the area of work. There are some practices that we need to cut off. You know, I worked briefly in the marketplace before I came on to full-time. You know, so I know in the marketplace, it sometimes can be a bit dark and there's very ungodly practices out there. As a believer, as one who is in covenant with the Lord, how do you live your life? Do you embrace these things because they are good for your career? Do you embrace these things because they are pleasurable for your flesh? Or do you, do you dare to stand and say, I won't do these things because it doesn't honour the Lord. It breaks my covenant with the Lord. 
Things like, for example, the proximity with the opposite sex. Affairs are very common in the workplace. Maybe you have attractive colleagues. Maybe you're overseas a lot, alone, with a colleague that's of the opposite sex. How do you stand? How do you walk? You need to cut away practices that dishonors the Lord. Because you know what? Everybody else may not know about it, but God knows. And He knows whether you are still in covenant with Him. The heart must be circumcised. Business entertainment, the way you entertain your clients, no, it may cost you, it may be painful like circumcision. But you know what? It's worth it if it gets me in covenant with the Lord. Because this world is not my home. My end goal is not to build a kingdom here. My end goal is to spend time with my bridegroom in eternity. So our eyes must be there, not here. So dare to stand up for biblical principles. Don't allow the world to corrode your your Christian values and live righteously out there. Number three, I want to challenge also those of you who are serving in the church. You know, in today's day and age, the culture of the church has become so performance-oriented. You know, it's all about the music, about who sings well, about, you know, the comfort that we provide, kapak marshals, uh, make sure everybody has a lot, your seats are comfortable, you know, make sure you have, uh, the seats can massage your back, also things like that. You know, it's, it's all about these things. You know, for those of you who are serving, I want to remind you this day that above everything else, above your skills, above your giftings, what the Lord requires of you is to have a heart that's consecrated before Him. Those of you who are in the worship team, every time you step up here, it's not just saying a prayer and then, hey, let's perform. It's about living a lifestyle of worship. Living a lifestyle of being separated. And out of that lifestyle, I serve. Out of the lifestyle, I do the graphics every week. Out of that lifestyle, I become an usher that serves in this holy place. And that's how God's presence is welcome every other week. Because you are the ones that are supposed to keep this place holy. And you can't keep this place holy if you yourself are not circumcised in your heart. So encourage those of you who are serving. You know what? More than all the things you do in your church, let your private life reflect the holiness of God. Let your private life reflect devotion to the Lord because God sees everything and He knows whether you are still in covenant with Him. Last but not least, is in the area of sexual intimacy. I shared this quite a little bit with our young people yesterday, but I thought it would be good for me to share a little bit with the parents here today. Okay, So, let me see how do I share this in a way that I don't throw my Bible at you. <laughs> you know, we live in such a sexualized culture and one of, the, one of the greatest weapons of the enemy today is in the area of sex. And that's how he is wanting to rob the next generation of believers. You know, in today, some of you may not know this, but I took over the family life ministries at uh, the start of the year. And one of the, one of the ministries I took over is actually marriage preparation course. 
And, you know, going through every marriage prep course, the runs, right? And also solemnizing people, like I solemnize about 12 every, every year. I can say this, you know, like between 7 or 8 out of every 10 couples that come to our course, sorry, out of all 10 people that come to our course, 7 or 8 of them has already had section in the course. It is a culture that's coming in. Oh, it might be Jesus, no? Better pick up. <laughs> Sorry, just, just kidding, just kidding. It's a culture that's coming in, no? And, and I get worried for young people because our young people think that it's normal to have sex outside of marriage. But you know what? It breaks the covenant with God. Because God is holy. And sex is something that is done only in the context of the covenant of marriage. Because marriage is sacred before the Lord. It represents the relationship between Christ and the church. It is sacred. And young people are being tempted by the world. They see their friends. They see their pressure, uh, the pressure that their friends give them. Like, why are you guys not staying together? What's wrong with watching porn? What's wrong with uh, 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 sleeping together before? You need to know whether you're compatible sexually, right? And the devil is working overtime to corrupt the concept of sex among young people. And that's why we see the breaking of the family in the world today. We see the breaking down of marriages in the world today because the concept of sex has been diluted, has been corrupted. And in the church, is starting to become normal to sleep together before marriage. Can I encourage you that as a church, sex, we believe that sex can only happen in the context of marriage. We need to cut off every hint of sexual immorality, whether it's pornography, whether it's your kids going on holiday together, living in the same place together before they get married. They are together in a bedroom behind closed doors. No one knows what's happening behind. You know what? We need to cut down some of these practices. You know, I just put up the slides here. You know, as a church, we deem the following as breaking the boundaries of physical intimacy and contrary to the teachings of scripture, any form of sexual acts before marriage. Okay? The usage of pornography, going on holidays together. The argument is that we never do anything. We, we very good in self-control, I know. Yeah, we very good. Can I just share with you this? Remember King David? Can you imagine this? A man that God calls, a man after his own heart. His spiritual level, I think none of us would dare to say is near to him, you know. Like he's the man of the God's heart. And yet he fell into adultery. Never underestimate what your flesh is capable of when you place yourself in the position of temptation. That's why we say no to couples to going to holidays together, living together, staying in the same room together behind closed doors, being in an empty house together because we love 
every single young person here. We love every single one of you and we believe that your marriage will only thrive if you keep sex within marriage and not outside of it. And parents, this is where I really, really need your help. You know what? Your children are still living under your covering. They're still living under your authority. I think it's really okay to tell them, say, I do not want you guys to go on holidays together. If you guys are at home, the couples in the room, keep the door open. Tell your daughters, you know, don't stay out longer than past a certain time. You're not allowed to stay over at your boyfriend's house. If your boyfriend insists, dump him. <laughs> Those of you daughters, say amen. Well, thank you for agreeing with me. You know, I, I don't have a daughter, lah, so I, I can never say that to my daughter, lah, okay? <laughs> yeah, but I will always tell young people this. If the guy is pressuring you to have sex, he's not worth keeping. Because he's someone that's governed by the flesh. If you can't keep God's instruction to stay away from temptation, what makes you think that you can keep God's instruction to not commit adultery? Because you're listening to the flesh here, what makes you think you won't listen to the flesh there? It's about allowing the flesh to govern. That's the, that's the deception of the enemy. It is not freedom, it is bondage. So as a church, we must do our part. We must cut off every hint of sexual immorality among our midst. Help your children, help the next generation, keep them accountable because we value their marriages, we value their purity. And the only way to do that is to keep sex within marriage, the confines of marriage. You know, so parents, I want to encourage you, keep your children accountable. Keep your children accountable. Friends, cell members of couples, keep them accountable. Don't just talk service things. Dare to ask your couple friends, have you guys crossed the boundaries? How are you guys doing in terms of physical intimacy? Because we want to spur each other on towards godliness, towards being in covenant with the Lord, towards having a circumcised heart because these things are part of the world. It doesn't belong to God. Alright? Sorry, family life pastor. So I'm very passionate about these things. Okay? But I really believe that marriage, a good marriage is only possible if we do it God's way and not the world's way. Okay? Now let me close by sharing you something very beautiful here. You know, 80, uh, Abraham was 75 years old when God called him out of Haran. Okay? And this was the first time that he heard the voice of God. Okay? And somewhere in between 75 years old to the time um, um, when he was about maybe in his 80s, you know, Abraham started to settle for less. And rightly so. I mean, you're 80 years old, right? Nobody has kids at 80 years old. I mean, now today, when you're past 50 years old, it's like almost like it's not possible anymore biologically, right? Yeah. So Abraham grew in the, in the, in the, sorry, in the belief that Ishmael was actually God's promised one. He taught that. He taught that because it's like, I'm 99 years old already, God, right now. You're asking me to circumcise myself. Yes, I'll believe you, but to have my own son at 99 years old, somewhat after I get circumcised, it's like, it's impossible. You know? So he thought that Ishmael was his offspring. 
that's God's promise to him. But God actually rebuked him. And I want to read to you that part of the of scripture in Genesis 17, verse 18. It says this, And Abraham said to the Lord, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Saying that, Oh, Ishmael is the chosen one. He's my offspring. But God said, No, your wife, Sarah, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall be father, uh, he shall father twelve princes and I will make him to a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When was it? At this time next year. Means one year after the circumcision happens, Isaac was born. What does that tell us? Okay, and just want to read very quickly further in, in the scripture in, in chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah one year later as she had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, 99 years old. Okay, and of which God has spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Why do I share this with you? Okay, I want to share this with you as a closing thought. Okay, When we choose to walk in the circumcisions of our hearts, God's call upon our life will come to pass. When Abraham chose to walk in covenant with the Lord, God's destiny for him came to pass. So some of you may be asking this question, oh God, what, what do you have in store for me? God, what's my destiny? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to change my job? Am I supposed to do this and that? I'm retired. God, what am I supposed to do? You know what? Maybe you're asking the wrong question. Maybe the right question is this. Am I living in a posture where my heart is circumcised? Am I constantly cutting away those things that is displeasing to the Lord? When you are in that posture, God can bring about His call upon your life to pass. But you must first be in a posture of a circumcised heart. Amen? Can I have all of us to stand to our feet as I ask uh, the worship team to lead us? in this closing song. Thank you for listening to the River Life Podcast. We hope that you've encountered Jesus through the Word. If you'd like to connect with community or find out more about River Life Church, find us on Facebook, Instagram or head on over to riverlife.org.sg. God bless and have a great week ahead.